This is Dr. Carissa Hines of Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Information without understanding is not very helpful. Talk with the doctor and feel like you're talking to a friend. Morning, good morning, good Thursday morning, Atlanta and everywhere. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening live to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We broadcast live every Thursday from the WWE Real 1100 AM studio here in Atlanta. I hope you all are having a wonderful week. Hey to everybody that is watching on the Facebook Live. Um, and so who was that? T-Busy. Hey, how are you doing today? Alrighty, so as we always do, we start our show with our shout out. So shout out to my number one fan. Hey mom, I hope you are having a terrific Thursday morning this morning. Shout out to family in Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Hobbs, New Mexico, Temecula, California, Opelika, Alabama, Houston, Texas, Seattle, Washington, Hampton, Virginia, Woodbridge, Virginia, Columbus, Georgia, Cedar Bluff, Alabama, Lusby, Maryland, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Charlotte, North Carolina, Gadsden, Alabama, Center, Alabama, Oxford, North Carolina, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, College Park, Georgia, and Newport News, Virginia is the latest city to add to our little family here. And so I thank you all so very much for tuning in from everywhere that you tune in. Um, and as always, if you are new to the show, you know that I love to shout out my uh, Medical Minutes family, wherever they may be listening. And so if you are listening from a city that I have not mentioned and you would like to have a shout out to your city, just hit me up on our Facebook page and let me know where you're listening from. And I will be happy to welcome you to the family and shout you out on next week's show. 
So, as I said, we are broadcasting live from the WWE Real 1100 AM studio this morning. You can also stream this show on www.real1100.com. You can watch on our Facebook page, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and I'm broadcasting live now. So, hey, to Facebook family. We also um, post our shows on our YouTube page, uh, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We are also a part of the Old Fashioned Health Network, so hey to our Old Fashioned Health Network family. Um, This show is not only a radio show, it is also a podcast, so if you are not listening live or if you want to listen to it again, you're welcome to do that. And we are um, on the following uh, podcast platforms, iTunes, Google, Captivate, Spotify, Amazon, Overcast, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher. Follow us on social media, on Facebook, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, on Instagram, at Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and on Twitter, at Minutes Doctor. So, how has y'all's week been? I hope everything has been has been great. Um, and so, as we always do, I try to give you all a, an update on what's going on in the world of COVID. And so, as of this week, 31.1 million uh, infections in the United States of America, an unfortunate 560 and a half thousand deaths. Uh, and so, of course, our condolences go out to all families who are affected by the loss of a loved one due to this terrible uh, pandemic. Uh, And on the good news front, 195 million Americans have received at least one dose of uh, the COVID vaccine. And so that is up from last week. Um, About 20 million more Americans um, have started their vaccine uh, process. And so that is that is absolutely great. Um, And so, of course, you know, the more people who are vaccinated, um, the closer we get to having um, herd immunity um, there. So that is great. So recent events. And so usually I try to find something medical to talk with you all about just to give you a little blurb about that. And so, of course, the the top talk this week is about the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Um, so the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is the latest vaccine to come on to the market and earn a a um, emergency use authorization from the FDA. Uh, and um, recently, as of this week, um, that vaccine rollout has been paused because of concern about uh, pulmonary embolism or PE, um, which is a blood clot that is in the lungs that is being associated um, with that particular vaccine. Now, Let's talk about that for just a little while before we get into today's topic. So um, first of all, I want to just say, you know, I know that when you see these um, these these headlines right across the news that, um, you know, so many people have had whatever instance right with with a vaccine. So in this case, I want to say um, that there were an increasing number of blood clots um, being associated with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. And so that is concerning. And so I think that it is the right thing to take a pause and, and figure out, um, is this a is this a correlation or is it a causation? And so what do we mean by that? So whenever we talk about side effects um, of something in the medical community, we talk about, is this a a cause of that particular medicine or therapy, or is it just 
happening alongside? Is it just a coincidental um, happening that is going along with the administration of this medicine or therapy? Okay. Um, And we don't know the answer to that question as of yet. And that's why, you know, things have been, you know, the the recommendation has been let's just slow this particular one down. Now, Moderna and Pfizer are still rolling full steam ahead, so you can still get um, vaccination. That vaccine is still available on the market. Um, But with the Johnson & Johnson one, you know, they've decided to just take a pause and take a look at the data, um, take a deeper dive into that. Now, don't be afraid of this, okay? So um, in the general population... Um, you know, blood clots happen. So this is not a thing that is just unique to um, this vaccine administration. Um, There are lots of risk factors for um, pulmonary embolism. And we talked about that on a show when we had Miss Dorsha Simmons, who is a survivor of pulmonary embolism um, on our show. And then we talked about the risk factors with that. So, you know, in terms of gauging your risk with this, right? Um, so in the population of, of just, you know, just who would get a blood clot for just any reason, um, that number is is higher, right? Um, and so when we look at these numbers, yes, it is alarming if there is a thousand people, but a thousand people out of millions of doses. And so that is, is what I'm trying to say is that, you know, take a deeper dive into the information that is presented. Don't just knee-jerk react of, oh, blood clots are happening with this, therefore it must be bad. Not necessarily. Um, because, you know, people can have people on birth control um, can have blood clots. Um, and that's a higher risk of blood clots compared to what we know of the numbers uh, with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And so, of course, millions and millions and millions of doses of birth control um, are taken every day across this country um, with that assumed risk that it could happen to you. It's not necessarily going to happen to you, but it could happen to you. Um, and so, you know, I when I when I hear these things, I always want to know the numbers and the percentages, because if it's less than, you know, less than a one percent chance of me getting a blood clot from this vaccine, as opposed to me getting a blood clot, just going about my business and not having anything, then to me, that is still a risk that is worth taking. Now, don't misunderstand me. There is still a risk, but there's a risk with everything, right? There's a risk with aspirin. There's a risk with driving a car, flying a plane. There, there's, there is no life and there's no living without some element of risk. Um, And so, you know, I just want to kind of keep you all encouraged um, and I will keep you posted on any new data that comes up um, surrounding this particular phenomenon that is happening with this vaccine. So moving on into our topic today. So, you know, our first song was Billy Joel talking about pressure. And so since this is Stress Awareness Month, and I did not know that until last week, so these things is just kind of serendipitous how I'm happening to program um, these particular talks during this particular month. So, you know, I like when things kind of align themselves and, and happen uh, naturally. That kind of gives me goosebumps a little bit. Um, but anyway, so we're talking about caregiver stress. Um, today, right? And so um, 
before we go into the break, I'm just going to give you just a little, little introduction. So, you know, a lot of people are a part of this sandwich generation, and that's sandwich generation, right? Um, and so there are people that are in their 30s and 40s and sometimes 50s. Um, who are balancing caring for their children as well as caring for older parents. And so, you know, this will happen as many of us in this generation, and I include myself, um, who put off having children until later in life, right? Because I didn't have my daughter until I was in my mid-30s. And so, you know, thank God my parents are healthy, but I am a part of that generation that could be taking care of an elder parent as well as taking care of a young to teenage age child. So 44% of people aged 45 to 55 have at least one living parent and one child under the age of 21. And 66% of caregivers are women. When we come back from the break, we will get more in depth into caregiver stress, how it affects you, how it can um, be prevented, and the things that we need to know about that. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We'll be back right after the break. Are your pet's vaccinations up to date? Just for Pets Wellness Center can help keep your pets protected from fleas, ticks, heartworms, and other nasty bugs with the latest parasite detection and prevention programs available. We offer parasite screening and prevention to the most advanced topical and chewable medications. Using our online pharmacy is affordable, safe, convenient, and provides home delivery. Visit our website for more information at www.justthenumber4petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721. This is fashion designer Edmund Newton. I'd like to tell you about Enmask.com. Enmask.com is my only source for non-surgical cloth masks. I've teamed up with Enmask.com to create and design a collection of limited edition masks. These masks are washable, reusable, breathable, and most importantly, fashionable. Shop online now at Enmask.com. That's E-N-M-A-S-K-S.com for quality masks made in America. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter. I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out Move mountains We gon' walk it out and move mountains And I'll rise up, I'll rise like the day I'll rise up, I'll rise unafraid I'll rise up, and I'll Yeah. And I'll rise up, I like the waves, I rise up, in spite of the 
Good morning, good morning. This is Dr. Carissa Hines. You are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and today we are talking about caregiver stress. So, you know, that song was Rise Up by Andre Day, and one of the lines that she says is that you are tired. And that is most certainly something that caregivers, particularly caregivers who are on the extreme ends of stress, really report that they are are fatigued, right? So let's focus on in a little bit on this. So what is caregiver stress, right? Because all of us talk about, oh, I'm stressed, I'm stressed out, I have so much stress. Um, but, you know, a lot of the times we don't, um, we don't give that stress a specific and pointed um, focus, right? Um, because is it an occupational stress, which we can talk about? Um, is it the stress of grief? Um, you know, There are different types of stress, but a lot of times we don't um, particularly articulate what kind of stress that we are having. So what is caregiver stress? So caregiver stress is the physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion that typically results from neglecting one's own needs and health while focusing on caring for an ill, injured, or disabled loved one. That's a mouthful, right? So basically, if you are a caregiver of someone who is ill and, you know, are ill for um, either a short period of time or a long period of time, but more so, you know, long periods of time, um, you know, we do see caregiver stress in that. Um, We can also see it in the short term with someone who is significantly ill, like very, very critically ill. Um, So even a short stay in the ICU and then the recovery after that can result in caregiver stress, even though it is only going on for maybe weeks to months, as opposed to the years of caring for um, someone who has a chronic, long, drawn out illness. So the constant demands of caring for the sick can over time become overwhelming and lead to some burnout. Factors in its development, um, one, physical, emotional, mental demands of caregiving, um, because that can be a very, very stressful thing because dealing with an illness is scary in and of itself, right? Um, But then when you are having to care for that person uh, and be their caregiver, um, then that adds an an extra uh, element to it. There may be a lack of boundaries between the caregiver role and other roles that you play in the family. So for example, if you are caring for your spouse, so now you are a caregiver, but you are also the spouse. And a lot of the times the lines between those boundaries um, become blurred and it can be very difficult uh, to, to extract one from the other. There may be a case of unrealistic expectations Okay, so you can have unrealistic expectations happen simultaneously on the part of the caregiver, on the part of other family members, and on the part of the patient, right? So, you know, uh, one of the unrealistic expectations that I see in caregivers all the time is I don't need any help. I can do it myself. And while that independence is is something and it helps you to get through, I imagine, um, tough times, that can also lead you to burn yourself out when you don't recognize that you do need help or that you can benefit from having help. Because maybe you can do it by yourself, but maybe you just don't have to, right? There is a refusal to ask for help. You know, a lot of the times people don't want to be a burden 
to other people. And so they don't want to ask for help. Um, and so, you know, that leads you to being very, very isolated. Um, and particularly if you are a capable person, right? Because other people around you will see, well, you know, Carissa's handling it all by herself just fine. She doesn't need any help. And so people may become reluctant to offer help because you make it look so easy in being a caregiver. But meanwhile, on the inside, you're struggling and you're struggling and you're just not telling anybody that you are struggling. There may be limited financial resources. So, you know, not everyone can afford a private duty nurse or other type of, of helper. Um, and so, you know, there's you and it's you, right? Because you can't afford to do anything else. There are also limitations in other resources in terms of support and manpower. So for example, if you um, live very far away from family and close friends that you would trust to help you, or if you are an only child and you know having to, to take care of take care of things um, in that way, um, you know, then those can kind of those limitations can can uh, result in in you being stressed. And then also, you know, there's guilt. And, you know, one, I think I might do a show about that, about the guilt that we have about different things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a note to myself to do that, that that's a show. Because, you know, I find when I have conversations with people um, that a lot of the times they express a guilt about not being able to do things. And I always look at them as if, you know, I'm, I'm really puzzled by that, right? Because a lot of the times we assign ourselves guilt that really doesn't belong to us. And I find that in the caregiver role that happens a lot um, because we think that we should have the ability or the desire to do a lot of things that we simply just really cannot do. And, and then we feel bad about that. Um, but, you know, no one is superhuman. And so, you know, that's, that's just, that just is what it is, right? So the negative outcomes of caregiver stress. 40 to 70% of caregivers deal with any combination of depression or anxiety. That's a huge number of people, right? There can also be anger and irritability. Uh, chronic stress, as we talked about um, before when we talked with Dr. Sean uh, Weaver-McKee, that we talked about oxidative stress, but this stress can also um, do this, can lead to chronic disease, hypertension, diabetes, or an, a compromised immune system. Or if you have these things already and you take on the role of caregiver and you get stressed in that role, then these chronic diseases can be worsened and that's not good for you. And then of course there are the, the feelings of isolation um, that come in this as well. So, you know, sometimes it cannot be helped. So when we talk about your um, limited resources, so I'll, I'll use myself as an example. So for those who know me in real life, um, you know that last year we had a tremendous challenge within my family. So my daughter became ill um, right around the time that COVID really, really started to take off. Um, and she was hospitalized and then re-hospitalized um, and, you know, had a long stay. So we, um, in total, over about three months, spent about eight weeks in the hospital. And so, you know, my husband and I were balancing, um, you know, taking care of home and then being at the hospital with her. 
Um, and then towards the end of her illness in the hospital, my husband also became ill. And so that left just me, right? Now, I belong to an incredible community of family and friends, but due to COVID, no one could come and help me, right? Because no one could come and sit at the hospital and relieve us of that because of the, the visitation restrictions. Um, you know, we really were leery about having people in our home to come and help us because at that time there was no vaccine. Um, and so, you know, we really, we had help that we could not access. And so, you know, for a period, it was just me still working and still taking care of two um, sick loved ones. And, you know, and I realized, you know, it was kind of a lightning in a bottle type situation, you know, the perfect storm of, you know, having help available, not needing help, having help available, but not being able to access it because of external factors. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people go through um, that type of situation. So I, I completely understand how, you know, you can find yourself in a situation where you just don't have help, right? Um, because that, that can be, um, that can be a thing. So when we talk about who caregivers are, right? So of course, we, we, when we talk about caregiver stress, we think about the person who is caring for an ill child or the person that is caring for their parents who may be ill or a spouse or something like that, that this is happening within the home. But we forget to acknowledge our healthcare workers and our emergency response personnel and also our teachers, right? Because these people in particular um, take on very stressful caregiver roles as their occupation. So it becomes a, a double whammy, if you will, of a caregiver stress along with an occupational stress. Um, and particularly in this past year to almost year and a half, you know, our healthcare workers have really, really felt um, the strain of being the caregivers that they have been called to be, um, where they are working extra shifts, there is extra anxiety. Um, you know, again, I'm going to speak for myself, you know, that my fear was that I would go to work contract COVID and then bring that back home to my family. And that was a fear that I had never experienced in my career before. Um, and it really, really has, has made me um, take a pause and think about, you know, what my career is and what it means to me and, and how I will continue it, um, you know, throughout this pandemic. It really made me change a few things actually um, about how, how I, I go about my, my career. So you have, um, you know, your caregiver can be impacted, um, your patients can be impacted, family members that surround you can be impacted. Um, and, you know, of course, anybody who um, is a caregiver, either on a personal or professional level, uh, can, be, can be affected. So when we come back from this break, we'll talk about the symptoms of caregiver stress. What, it, what that looks like, and um, the things that we can do about it. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We'll be back after a short break. Be sure to listen to the Wellness Enclave with Dr. Donna Sewell, 
a podcast that explores emotional health and its impact on everyday life. In the Enclave, we will address emotional health and how it is connected to other parts of your life, such as physical health, relationships, spirituality, and even decision-making. The Wellness Enclave with Dr. Sewell can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is Alvin. And this is Edmund. On the Old Fashioned Health Show. Tune in each Friday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And listen to us live on iHeartRadio or the Real 1100 app. Where we talk about healthy information, products, and or services. And get some old school music in. On the Real 1100. Welcome back. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And again, we are um, streaming this show live on the Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa Facebook page. So I want to say hello to everybody that is watching on our Facebook page. Thank you all so much for tuning in. So we are talking about caregiver stress, and that is the particular stress that happens when you are caring for someone who is either very seriously ill for a short-term period of time or has a chronic illness and you are that person's caregiver over a longer period of time. Um, you know, and I, I, when I talked about who was impacted, I left out a person or a type of person, a category of people, I guess I would say, um, parents of um, special needs children, because you have a child who will never reach a full level of independence uh, from you as their parent, and you will care for them throughout your lives. And that can be, um, you know, very, very stressful um, as that is, you know, an ongoing thing because most of us, when we have children, expect to go through the transitions, right? So, you know, of course, when they are babies, they're total care. Um, you know, they need you for every single thing. And as they grow, that independence grows and eventually they leave you and go on and go off and to fulfill their own lives and their own destinies and their own dreams. Um, but when you have a, a chronic um special needs child that may not be the case so you may be an older older parent taking care of uh, of an older or an adult child who is um, you know in need of of your support so when we were talking about on the break and we talked about we said we would talk about symptoms of this and so what does caregiver stress look like 
um, because a lot of the times we can't recognize something in ourselves because we don't know what to look for or we can't recognize that in our friends and in our family members. So um, symptoms of caregiver stress could include a change in appetite, a change in weight, hopelessness, poor sleep or interrupted sleep, uh, feelings of wanting to hurt yourself, feelings of wanting to hurt the person you are caring for, or a loss of interest in activities. So let's take a deeper dive um, into that with the change in appetite. So sometimes you can be particularly um, in the acute stages. So when you have a hospitalized person that you are caring for and you are sitting there, or even when you first bring them home and you're making that transition to caring for that person in the home, um, there may be chance times when you are so busy that you will forget to eat because you are in the middle of doing something um, that may be involved or may be time consuming um, with that person. So that is a different thing from a change in appetite. So, you know, if you are so busy, because we do that too, I do that like working that, you know, I'll get into a groove and, and the time will go by and then I'll look up and I'm like, I haven't eaten. Um, but this change in appetite is when you just don't desire to eat at all. And, you know, you may see the subsequent weight loss, which is not a healthy weight loss that may go along with that. Um, hopelessness speaks more so to the feelings of depression um, or maybe just feeling overwhelmed in what you um, are up against in, in caring for this person. Um, you know, particularly when you are dealing with someone who has a chronic illness and maybe they have some device of some sort, um, you know, that can be very, very intimidating if you are a non-medical person. Um, because of course you don't want to you don't want to do it wrong you don't want to you know cause the person harm or administer the drug incorrectly or not at the right time so you know that can can have a lot of intimidation and a lot of anxiety um, associated with it that on the long term can lead to a sense of I don't know what I'm doing I don't think that I can do this this is just a hopeless situation for me um, of course, an interruption in your sleep or sleeping poorly, uh, because if you have to get up in the middle of the night or or in the middle of the day, if you're trying to nap um, and, you know, check on this person or, you know, change them, whatever it is that you have to do, your sleep can become interrupted. And we know uh, from our talk many, many months ago um, with Dr. Julie Grant that interrupting sleep will lead to health problems in and of itself. So this is more than just you have missed a couple of hours of sleep and you know maybe a cup of coffee will help you get through the day. This is that situation every day, right? And so at some point, you are going to run out of steam that even caffeine, you know, the mighty caffeine can't, can't really help you with. Now, the more dangerous um, well, before I get that, I'll, I'll go to the loss of interest in activities. Um, and so, you know, it may be a thing that because you have dedicated so much of your time to caring for your loved one, that you stop doing the things that you enjoy. Um, and it may be something that has to happen on a, a short term basis that you have to sacrifice those things. Um, but in the long run, sacrificing those things that give you a break and that give you 
um, joy in your life um, can be dangerous. Now, the two dangerous things, um, or more dangerous, I guess I should say, um, the feelings of wanting to hurt yourself and the feelings of wanting to hurt your patient. Um, those are things that if you are experiencing that in your caregiver role, that is a red light flashing sign, get help, okay? Because of course, wanting to hurt yourself, wanting to hurt someone else, you know, has more consequences besides the actual act, of course, because, you know, if you hurt yourself, kill yourself, then you're dead and then you can't help your person. So what happens to them? And then, of course, if you hurt your patient or kill your patient, then that has some legal consequences. And so, again, if you are not there to take care of your person for one for one reason or for the other, then what happens to that person? So if you are feeling um, that you want to hurt yourself, please reach out, um, reach out to someone. Um, I am available and can get you connected to resources um, that can help you with that feeling. And most certainly if you want to, to hurt someone else, please seek help before you take any action um, in that direction. So the most extreme um, expression of caregiver stress is the martyr syndrome, right? So that is the person who very well-meaning, very well-intended, um, just takes that selflessness in caregiving to just a whole nother level, right? So just takes it to the extreme. They are the person who feels that, um, you know, they can, they can do it all. They can do it all by themselves. They don't need any help at all. And they feel that only they can do it in a way that is correct, right? So, you know, you'll see this with spouses, particularly women caring for their husband. Oh, I'm the only one who can care for my husband. So I will do everything, even if it wears me all the way out. Um, I will just do it. And so, you know, that becomes, um, that becomes dangerous very, very quickly. Um, because, you know, as I said, we are human beings. We are not machines. So we are designed to rest from time to time. We are designed to take breaks. We are designed to have um, other interests that we do. And when we sacrifice all of those things for the love of, a, of caring for a person, um, if we do that without an endpoint, then that can become um, that can become dangerous for us and can lead to um, those symptoms that I just talked about a few minutes ago. So you will have the martyr who, again, makes these expressions that I am the only one that can do um, X, Y, and Z. Um, they may stop seeing their friends. They will stop participating in activities that they enjoy. Um, they will even spend their own resources in caregiving to the detriment of their finances. Um, so there are a lot of caregivers who are struggling uh, financially because they've had to use their own finances um, to um, participate in this caregiver role. So imagine, you know, that you are dedicating 
your finances to this so you know again if you're a caregiver i don't know how you're working so that that right there is is a problem right because you can only take so much time off from work you only have so much money in your savings um, and so you know if you are not judicious in how you use your time and your other resources um, you can run out of that resource and then there you are um, stuck you know you are not taking care of your financial responsibilities um, and so again if you are not well how can you take care of anyone else so if you stop paying your bills and you are you know evicted from your home how are you going to care for your person if you have nowhere to live and that person has nowhere to live right um, and then they may ignore, um, these martyrs may ignore their own emotional and spiritual needs. Um, so again, you know, when we talk about a whole life and a well life, um, we talk about not only taking care of our physical health, but we talk about our mental health and our spiritual health and also our financial health, right? Because all of those things play a part into having us be very well balanced people. And so people who are experiencing the martyr sy syndrome are tremendously off balance, right? So how do we treat, how do we treat this? Okay, so I've, I've hopefully have taught you how to recognize this caregiver stress. Um, and, you know, if you see it in your friends or in your loved ones, um, you know, I hope that you can have a, a conversation with them about, hey, you know, I, I just think that maybe you need a break. So treating treating caregiver stress number one make yourself a priority right so I tell people all the time particularly women um, when they say that you know they can do it all and this and the other and I tell them you know they have I have children you know my husband needs me my children needs me my job needs me um, I tell women all the time if you are not well you are of no use to anyone if you are not well, you cannot take care of anyone else because you are not taking care of yourself. In order to be an effective anything, but in this case, an effective caregiver, you have to be well. So you have to make yourself a priority. And I know that when you talk about you want to care for someone else, but I have to care for myself, it may feel selfish. And maybe it is. And that's okay, right? Because again, you have to be at your best in order to help anyone else. So making yourself a priority, take breaks, eat regularly, participate in exercise. Exercise is cumulative. So if you cannot give a whole hour at a time, that's fine. Break it up into four 15 minute segments. The beneficial effects will be the same for you. Um, you want to schedule and keep your appointments because a lot of caregivers, particularly the martyrs, will neglect their health to the point that, you know, they're they're not taking care of their chronic illnesses. They're not taking care of their routine maintenance, if you will, um, and just going and going and going and running on empty. So you want to make sure that you schedule and keep your appointments. You also want to participate in self-care. So if it is your cloud nine to go and get a manicure or pedicure do that get a massage do that take a walk outside and breathe the fresh air do that whatever it is that that brings you joy 
that is what you need to hold on to. Now, you may not be able to participate in it as much as you previously did before you took on this caregiver role, and that's fine, but don't give it up all in entirely, okay? And you also want to seek therapy, particularly if you are having symptoms of depression or hopelessness or feeling overwhelmed. Um, you definitely want to seek out care um, for those feelings, so that way you can get back to being a healthy you. You want to ask for help, right? So, you know, like I said, a lot of the times we don't ask for help because we don't want to be a burden to anyone. And I appreciate that. But there are people who love who love you, who want to help you, who genuinely want to share your burden. Um, because there is a saying that a burden shared is a burden halved. Right. So, you know, it's OK to ask for help. You want to ask for help from your family and friends. Um, you, there are agencies that can provide support. Um, and then there's a thing called respite, where if you have someone who is a chronic, who has a chronic illness, you can um, check them into a facility. Most of the time, it's like a nursing home or other type of care facility. You can check them in for a short period of time, and then you can have that break. Now, of course, you know, it's not a long term thing and it's just episodic, but sometimes that's all you need, you know, right? It's just just a minute to just take a pause, take a beat um, and, and take a breath. Now, when we're talking about um, helping from family and friends, so um, a lot of the times within families that I've worked with, at least there has been conflict when there has been an ask for help. Right. Because maybe if you have siblings, maybe a sibling lives far away or another sibling has, you know, a lot of kids and a lot of family obligations or a very, very demanding job. And so when you are asking for a specific type of help, they can't give that. And therein lies the conflict. Right. But what I find is helpful is in asking people instead of giving them a job to do. I want you to come and sit with mom on Saturdays from from three to five so that I can take a break because maybe every Saturday doesn't work. The best approach to that is to say, what help can you provide? Right. Because there are lots of of resources besides time. Money, for example, is one. So perhaps your your sister um, you know, can't give time, but she can pay to come and have somebody to clean the house. So that way you don't have to do it. Or they can pay for a sitter to come in for a couple of hours to come in to give you a break, right? So you just got to be a little more sophisticated about asking for the help that you need. And that may be a thing too, figuring out what you need, right? So, and, and that leads me to my next point of outsourcing what you can, so if you are responsible for everything in the house, maybe it's time that you stop being responsible for everything. So if you have older children who can help with household chores, that takes some of the burden off of you. You can also use meal delivery. If you can um, do a housekeeper that, you know, gives you that one little bit that that's one thing off of your plate that you don't have to deal with. That's great. Um, and then there's also adult daycare. So a lot of communities have these um, adult daycare centers where just like with your little ones, you can take them and they will be cared for and fed and given their medications and such things for a short period of time. And then you come and pick them up. And during that time off, 
you can go and and rest or take a nap or get your nails done your hair done whatever it is that you want to do with that time you can do with that time this is also beneficial for your person that you are caring for right because they may get to they get to get out they may make new friends they may be able to try new hobbies within these centers um, and so that may be an enriching and fulfilling experience for them as well as for you that's a win-win right I, I love it when everybody wins um, look further into your resources for example your employer so there is FMLA if your employer offers or participates in this and that is the Family Medical Leave Act where you know, you can protect your job because once this is over, we all need a job to go back to, right? Um, where you can have um, protected time to dedicate to your caregiving um, and, you know, you let your employer know that this is what's going on. Um, because it's always important to keep the important people informed of what's going on in your life. Um, you can also network so you can find a caregiver community. So social media, um, you know, for all of its faults, it does have a, a great benefit of connecting people who have likewise in, interest, similar interests, right? Um, and so you may find a caregiver community, um, find support groups for a particular disease process. Like I know the Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease communities have incredible networks um, of support for family members and for patients who are going through, going through that. And you may also talk with your doctor or your local case manager if you've had a hospitalization and they are tremendous resources um, for, for you know, finding help that you need. Um, and so before you get into a caregiver stress or caregiver burnout syndrome, it is always just best to avoid it, right? And so anticip anticipation is an important thing. So, you know, you may, as a person, uh, get long-term care insurance. Um, and so, you know, I, our friends uh, with Northwestern Mutual, Mr. Brian Ford, we have talked about that um, before about long-term care insurance. So that way that gives you some financial support um, if you should need long-term care, um, you can enlist your family's help right from the beginning. So instead of taking on the, the attitude of, you know, I'm going to put my cape on and be a superhero and just do it all myself, start right from the beginning. Hey, I'm going to need help with this. This is the help that I will probably need. So be on standby because I will probably be calling you, right? And just enlist whatever resources can be contributed because, again, not everyone can give time, but everyone can give something. Also, with your estate planning. So, you know, again, this is something that you anticipate that maybe this will happen. And so then you have that plan in place and you can activate that. And then you also have to be honest with yourself and with your loved one um, about what your resources are and about what you can do and what you can't do and what your particular needs are, right? Because it is easy to just focus on what your, your patient, your person needs, and then that leads to neglecting what you need. And that is not a healthy situation for your, for your loved one or for yourself. There may also be tax advantages for caregivers, right? So you can consult a tax attorney or an accountant and, and see how that works out for you. Um, and I think if you pay at least, at least from what I've read, uh, if you pay at least 50% 
of the care of your person, that person can then be claimed as a dependent on your income tax. And so, of course, you know, you're going to have to keep up with documentation and, and prove these things. Um, but again, a tax attorney or an accountant should be able to help you um, to sort that out. And some expenses can be deducted as well. So prescription costs, medical insurance premiums, medical supplies, glasses, hearing aids, and even mileage to doctor's appointments uh, can be um, counted as, as tax deductions. So that will help you on that financial end. So some additional resources um, that you can look into, and I will post these on our Facebook page, um, aplaceformom.com helpguide.org, alz.org, that's the Alzheimer's uh, Foundation, and nadsa.org. You can also Google the Area Agency on Aging, or AAA, AAA, so not the car people, um, for resources that are specific to either your disease process that you're dealing with um, or and or your community where you live and just reaching out and finding um, all of those all of those resources. So um, we will be back. This is Dr. Carissa Hines. You are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa and we'll be back after a short break. Just for Pets Wellness Center, our expert veterinary team provides personal, professional, and compassionate services to your beloved pets. You can rely on us for pet wellness exams, medical care and treatments, dentistry, and surgical care. We provide a clean, safe, and caring environment for dogs, cats, and pocket pets with exceptional care, always the standard. We're doggone good and the cat's meow. Visit our website for more information at www.just4petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721. Listen, baby, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby. If you need me, call me, no matter So if you are watching on Facebook, you may not be able to hear um, the music that that we're playing, that the wonderful Greg is playing for me. And so, um, as I said, every week I try to compile a playlist um, that pertains to what we're talking about. And, you know, of course, we've been talking about caregivers. And so this is one of my favorite songs, um, Ain't No Mountain High Enough by the late greats Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. 
And that really, really speaks to me, to the care, um, to the heart of a caregiver um, that, you know, no matter what you need, no matter where you are, I will be there for you and, and will, you know, get you what you need no matter what. And I just think it, caregivers really, really do that. But let's talk about, um, you know, for our vitamin C today. So, you know, I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to say for this week for our vitamin C. Um, but then, you know, the Johnson & Johnson thing talk, came out and we were talking about risk, right? The risk of the uh, pulmonary embolism with taking the vaccine. And so, um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about risk and what that means for us. And so um, Sarah Parrish is quoted as saying, living with fear stops us taking risks. And if you don't go out on the branch, you're never going to get the best fruit. So, you know, of course, that is speaking more so to taking risks within business or relationships. You know, everywhere, every day, everything that we do, there is a risk involved, right? So, for example, I come to this studio every week and I take the risk that no one will listen to what I have to say. It is a risk that, you know, it's a real possibility because y'all could all be busy doing other stuff this week, you know, and, and not paying attention to me from 11 to 12. That is entirely possible. Um, and that is frightening and scary because who wants to talk and no one ha and have no one listen to them. Right. But the re the risk also comes with the reward that someone somewhere will hear, will hear what I'm saying and maybe that will help them or they will tell someone else and it will help them. So, you know, the risk with taking these um, COVID vaccines, um, you know, of course it is not without risk. There are side effects and there are things that can happen that are very, very scary. And so I don't want to, to minimize that concern at all. I totally, totally get it. But when we look at the risk and the reward, the reward being you can protect yourself you can protect your loved ones, you can protect your community. And if we all band together to take this collective risk, then we can get back to a new normal in our lives and in our country. And I think that that to me and for me is a risk worth taking. I also have to look at the risk of taking this chance of getting this vaccine and having something happen versus the risk of having something happen because I have contracted COVID. That risk is very, very real. And, you know, being an ER doc, I have seen that up close and personal more times than I care to mention um, the devastating, the devastation, excuse me, that is caused by that. So just remember, there is no, there is no such thing as zero risk in life. We are all taking, taking a chance, taking a risk. And hopefully it works out for us to a good effect. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Um, this is my favorite, favorite hour of the week. Uh, and I thank you so much for allowing me to invade your ears. And I hope that I have helped you a little bit this week. And so until we meet next week, be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Take care. This is Dr. Carissa. 
Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to another Old Fashioned Health Network show on The Real 1100.